Up next, Biz 503, the Portland-centric podcast for startups and small businesses. We believe it, we live it, and there's something about Brand Portland that has taken a meteoric rise in our world. Welcome to Biz 503, the Portland-centric podcast for startups and small businesses. I'm Rebecca Webb, co-founder of Portland Radio Project. If you look at milestones like OMSI, the Esplanade, and Tilikum Crossing, the transformation of Portland's central east side is dramatic. There's hardly a place changing faster. What was once an almost entirely industrial area has diversified. Tall residential buildings hover near the Burnside Bridge. Several new office buildings have gone up near the Hawthorne Bridge. After actively preserving the area as an industrial sanctuary, recent plans have put forward a new definition of what industrial means in the 21st century. New projects like light rail are introducing new people to the area. New businesses are taking over old warehouses. Change brings with it questions about the soul of one of the city's oldest working neighborhoods. Today, we're continuing our occasional series on fast-changing areas of the Portland region with an update on the Central East Side. With us, two experts very familiar with the Central East Side's past, present, and future. Troy Doss is a senior planner at the City of Portland. He's worked extensively on planning in the Central East Side. Welcome, Troy. Thanks for having me. And Peter Stark, architect extraordinaire at Peter Stark Design, Architecture, and Planning. Glad to have you with us, Peter. Glad to be here, too. Troy, you want to start and tell us what's the rationale, first of all, between having a sanctuary industrial area? What does that mean? So we have a policy that goes back to about the 1980s that was really coming together in the 1970s. And it was saying that we wanted to keep areas for industrial purposes. We wanted to maintain a manufacturing base, a job base, um, because if you allow other uses to come in, uh, they can erode the valuability of the, of, the, of the uses. They can also increase property values pretty significantly and displace those, those very uses that we're trying to retain. So industrial sanctuary really limits the types of uses that can be in an area. Okay. And what's the point of limiting those uses? Again, what we want to do is if you bring in a residential, uh, like look at the Pearl District, the reality is we wanted that area to, to become what it has become. But if you did that to the central east side, if you brought in allowed housing just to be anywhere it wants in that district, the values of the property would go up so sufficiently that it would it would price out industrial businesses. It would also result in conflicts between the new residents and the existing businesses because they usually don't go very well together. And why are industrial businesses so important to that area? Well, it's a job base. It's when it's also one of our fastest growing employment districts in the city. So, Peter, take us for a little walk down memory lane. I know you've been or were with the CEIC, Central Eastside Industrial Council, for many years. Yes, yes. And you've watched this area grow and change in significant ways. Take us back to what it once was. Let's see. I got involved in the district in about 1996, um, and it was at a time when the city was considering putting in light rail, which we currently have. But at that time, there was a debate whether or not it should cross the Ross Island Bridge or the current crossing at Tillicum. Um, at that time, the Central East Side got involved because they believed that they needed to support the businesses. So many years ago, 20 years ago, uh, there was a concern that the district was being overlooked. Move forward about maybe five or six years, and all of a sudden, with the success of the Pearl District, there was an interest to possibly convert the district to something more like the Pearl, which would essentially radically change it. And 
um, there were many businesses that were struggling with what would happen with that change. Um, and so that's been the road we've been following. How do you allow the transition and still retain the employment? I'm going to talk more about that as the show goes along. But if you don't mind, could I ask you both to maybe take us back even further to the 1800s and describe, you know, this was a huge port and the railroads, you know, uh, transported the the agricultural products. Tell us a little bit about the history of that region. Well, it it goes back to 1860s, really, and and the area was East Portland at one time uh, before it was part of the city of Portland. So produce was one of the biggest uh, things that was being moved around in the district. There was uh, products that were being brought from around the area there being put on train first and then ship. And then that transitioned to other uses, a lot of water-dependent uses, some shipbuilding. There were logging operations and mills there. Really just about everything that, every type of industry that ever has been inside the city at one point was inside the Central East Side. Um, And it's curious now, because when you look at an industrial district, like the ones near the port, they're on very large facilities. Um, at the time, you know, we, we weren't using trucks. We were using literally horse and buggies. So um, the the small block structure that's there made perfect sense for the industry that existed in the late 1800s. Mm-hmm. Um, not so much today, but um, but for those types of industries. So the warehouse and distribution type uses have kind of slowly but surely left the district for for greener pastures where they have more property to, to maneuver on. Um, and so what we've been dealing with is how do you bring in this new industrial um, life to a district that was really built for um, an industrial form that existed in the you know, late 1800s, turn of the century. Very interesting. And it, you're bringing up the sort of tension points between the past and the future and uh, an area that's gritty at the same time that it's kind of in vogue. As an architect, how do you view those kinds of tension points, Peter? Well, as an architect, um, I, you know, I always see opportunity. And the grittiness, I, I kind of found attractive. Um, the areas underneath the bridges, um, you know, the old cobblestone roads, uh, from an architectural point of view, I think, you know, I always envisioned there was opportunity to do something a little bit more. The, the trick, uh, again, frankly, is how do you make that transition? And, um, you know, trying to retain the history, what you see in the streets, what you see the businesses and how they function, um, and even more importantly, the businesses have relationships with each other. And they talk about, um, you know, uh, sector industries where you may have one industry, but they're dependent upon other businesses in the area to keep going. And so it's a fine fabric, if you will, trying to keep it alive and trying to keep uh, the diversity going. Architecturally, you can see what's happening. It's, it's exciting. So bring us back to that point then when you got involved in the 90s. Now we have a little background on the area. And what were the fears? Well, they were uh, clearly uh, coming from many of the businesses that, that had been there for, in some cases, hundreds of years. Uh, many family-owned businesses. Many of the businesses in the district, uh, in the buildings are owned by the businesses that reside there, which is unusual. Um, and there was fear that uh, if the transition were to happen like the Pearl, you would end up with... Um, a uh, very similar uh, reaction to uh, especially housing. If you bring in uses that are uh, not complementary to industrial uses, those businesses would not remain viable. Uh, property values clearly is one you know factor that will drive out a business, but non-compatible uses has a similar effect. And there are many stories in the Pearl where you have uses that became ineffective just because of the complaints coming from residents about noise. Um, and 
there was a lot of fear that that would happen to the Central East Side as well. So has the planning been effective in that sense in heading off some of those concerns? A- absolutely. The, the district was made a sanctuary, and Troy, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was in about the 70s or 80s, sometime about mm-hmm. then that we... Yeah, late, or late 70s, early 80s. Right. We, you know, at that point, th- there was concern about the gentrification coming to the district and creating the sanctuary allowed those businesses to continue to thrive without the fear of change. Uh, in the business world, change, especially rapid change, can have a real negative impact on where you perceive your business will be going in the future. So part of this transition we try to do is, is to keep that change at a slow pace so that it was easier to kind of anticipate where you're going to be. So there are some challenges that are being faced in that uh, district currently, however. Oh, absolutely. Um, with growth, uh, with uh, densification, with um, you know changes in the zoning, even subtle changes it'll have an impact. And growth especially, you know, the impact on parking and the ability to move freight in and out of the district um, and and other outside pressures to, uh, you know, improve amenities such as, you know, bicycle and and transit. And and they're all positive things, but they all um, apply a certain amount of pressure to businesses to succeed. So we're going to talk more about growth, density, drastic and subtle changes in the Central East Side right after this. Support for Biz 503 comes from acreative.agency, specializing in marketing, automation, and web development. For more, go to acreative.agency. Welcome back to Biz 503. I'm Rebecca Webb. We're talking about Portland's rapidly changing Central East Side Industrial District today. City planner Troy Doss is with us, along with architect Peter Stark. They have depth of experience watching that area grow and change over the years. Troy, would you bring us up to date on the latest zoning issues and changes that have taken place? Sure. So we're currently doing an update of the entire central city plan. And, and one of the things we did is broke the, the current landscape into these different quadrants. We did a project called the Southeast Quadrant Plan a few years back. And it was really looking at what's the direction we want to go here. Um, to kind of reiterate what Peter's already said, there was a lot of concern that here, here we come. We hadn't done anything in the district in 30 years. Uh, of anything of substance. And it was a fear that maybe we were going to try to change everything. We really haven't changed much. Um, the only major zoning updates are really around this, the OMSI station area, where there's a more of a mixed-use allowance that's probably closer to what you'd see in the Pearl or South Waterfront. Um, although housing is a conditional use, it's not allowed outright. In fact, we didn't increase housing capacity at all on the central east side. So a lot of what you're seeing when you go through the district is housing that's been zoned that way for 30 years. Um, so what we really tried to do is increase the amount of job density you could get because we can't create more central east side and we can't create more industrial base. So what we've done is rather than growing out, we're trying to grow up. And so we've changed the zoning to broaden what consideration of an industrial use would be. And that would be one of the kind of correcting some of the flaws that are in the industrial sanctuary policy, honestly, because that policy and the zones that implement it looked at what industry was like in 1970. 
And so the idea of having a, an iPhone or something like that was unheard of. Um, and having whole industries that are based around web applications and, and a lot of the creative services we see there were also fantasy. So now we're trying to make room for those and we're finding that they're very compatible with a lot of the other uses that are in the district. So it's really fine tuning the zoning we already have in place and not making any really big drastic changes because we see it as an incredibly successful district. Yeah. Talk a little bit more about that compatibility. What kinds of businesses are we talking about and why do they get along so well? Well, you know, there's so there, look at a project like Uncork Studios. It's an interesting business. Um, you know, it's really hard to define what they actually do. They, they're problem solvers. They help other industries kind of figure out what the, how to create new products, how to fix products they have. Um, some of that is uh, intellectual. Some of it's digital. Sometimes it's them working with their neighbor ADX and going uh, next door and building with standard tools like any old school manufacturing and, and using these applications. But we're finding those. You know, this is a, a very digital-oriented type company on, on the surface, it looks like. But they're going next door to the warehouse. They're building things. They're being supplied by people who are also in the district as well. So there is the synergy um, that's happening with all these uses. And we're finding that they work together very well. Um, what we've tried to do is preclude uses that would be an impact. So residential was off from the beginning. We weren't going to do any more of that. But trying to limit the amount of additional retail that comes in, or professional services offices where you have like lawyers or doctors. We, we're, we're trying to limit businesses where the customer base goes to them. So the businesses that are in the district largely are really employee driven and they're working with each other, but they're not bringing in a lot of uh, people like you would see in the downtown core. Mm -hmm. Did you want to add something? Well, I wanted to say, I'm Troy's absolutely correct. And from the point of view of transportation and parking, that was the split. We wanted to make sure that we were encouraging businesses that did not have the need to bring their customers to their location and maximize uh, the, the transportation parking system for employees. Early on when we talked about, you know, looking at zoning modifications, it was quite frankly that split. The definition almost became who's wholesale in nature, who, who does not, you know, require that they bring customers to a retail location. And we started to define industry a lot differently. I think anybody who's tried to go there to park... <laughs> <laughs> understands exactly well, what you're so talking So somebody about. could park there. That's incredible. Um, it's tough. It's it's becoming more difficult. Um, and we're hopeful that we'll find uh, some solutions that will ease the pain. But the truth is parking is a limited quantity. Uh, it's very expensive to create more. If you're going to build structured parking, it can be anywhere from thirty to $60,000 per stall. Uh, and, um, you know, frankly, there's just not a lot of space to add more. Talk a little bit about having a river right next to you going through your industrial area. I mean, that presents certain challenges, but obviously it's very special. Well, I, I wish uh, my friend Dan Yates was here because he can tell you a lot about the river. I love the river. I, I think most Portlanders understand that it's an incredible asset for the city. We should just say that Dan Yates yes. is the owner or proprietor of the Portland Spirit. Yes, yes. Who's also on the Central Eastside Industrial Council, and uh, he was to be here today. Yeah. But early. thank you for speaking for him. So the connection with the river goes back historically, obviously. Uh, Troy's earlier discussion about the connection to the water. Um, water Avenue, by the way, was the water's edge, uh, and it was named Water Avenue because there was the water. Um, but, you know, future use of the river uh, will continue to evolve. And again, speaking on behalf of Dan and others, uh, there is the possibility of reconnecting with the river and possibly 
using it as a transportation system, um, you know, whether it's water taxi or something that takes you from Vancouver back into Portland. There's already a large connection with OMSI in the, in the river, and uh, of course the Esplanade is there. Um, we're hoping to make stronger connections with the river and the Central East Side. And the Human Access Project wants yes. humans to have more access. Well, that would be wonderful, wouldn't it? We have the beach now, I guess, right? We, yeah, we have, a, we have a big focus. I'm working with OMSI on the development of their master plan, and um, we're working with other property owners in the area as well that are, you know, they have one of the few places where you can actually get down to the Willamette on the east side. Mm -hmm. And so um, we're trying to make the most of that, both for habitat, for swimming, um, as uh, Peter alluded to, uh, Portland Spirit has talked about maybe high-speed um, ferry service that would connect Lake Oswego and Vancouver. So um, with OMSI, there is an anchor as a regional draw. Um, there's a lot to be said about trying to bring you know, more people down to that part of the river. It's kind of interesting. Uh, you mentioned not wanting a lot of residential development to be in the mix. And that seems counter to a social goal that Portland has had for quite a while, which is to bring people closer to their workplaces. Well, we're not having a problem with that here. So we have a lot of capacity for residential development in the district already, and that's just starting to be realized. So when you see all the development that's occurring there, again, it's been zoned that way for 30 years, but it's just now starting to capture the market because people weren't attracted to the central east side as a place to live. Um, now they are. And um, we do find that uh, a tremendous amount of people who work in the district actually live in the close-in neighborhoods. They live in Buckman and Hand and Kearns. Um, we actually find that uh, one of the things that's happening is, you know, a lot of bikes are coming through there. They're not all going to the other side of the river. A lot of them are coming to employment there. Um, there's like a 24% commute by bike mode split coming out of those neighborhoods, which is extraordinary. Wow. Um, and they're coming increasingly to the central east side. So whereas we're not seeing as much structured parking, although we are seeing some businesses that are starting to do that, um, the amount of bike parking that goes into these new businesses in the central east side is pretty astounding. Before we move to the future vision for that area, what are the maybe most remarkable obstacles that you're facing right now? Well, parking is going to be one of them um, because you have an old small block pattern with older buildings on it that are being rehabbed. So there really isn't the ability to include parking without taking those buildings down. But there's been some regulatory barriers, honestly. So one of the things that we did through our plan was try to change how we would uh, manage parking because we were not allowing, you could have a business that had uh, a sea of surface parking and the business next door was prohibited by the code of being able to access that parking and it was being underutilized. So we've changed that. We're, we're trying to do things like that to open that kind of supply up. Um, I'd say cost of property is also going to be a factor going forward, though, because um, although I think there's a lot of claims that uh, the changing character of the district is what's driving up land values, a lot of it's just centrality because people want to be able to work and live closer to home. Um, and so the ability to purchase those properties, those old buildings, rehab them, um, it's, it's become an attractive market. Anything you want to add quickly? Well, the other piece besides parking is loading and unloading. And freight movement through the district is going to continue to, to struggle uh, as the uh, the system is is congested, and there are conflicts between some of the uses for loading and unloading and pedestrian and bicycle and uh, you know single occupancy vehicles, and so that's going to continue to be a struggle, and we're we're trying to figure that piece out as as well. Okay, after a break, we'll talk more about the future of the Central East Side, opportunities and challenges like even climate change when we come back. 
to acreative.agency, specializing in marketing, automation, and web development. For more, go to acreative.agency. Welcome back to Biz 503. We're here with architect Peter Stark and city planner Troy Doss. And we're talking today about the central industrial east side of Portland. You know, that stretch along the Willamette River right by OMSI. Do you want to be any more specific than that about what we're talking about? Where does it end and begin, Troy? Sure. So it really begins at the Banfield Freeway and extends all the way down to Powell. And then obviously the water's edge out to about 12th Avenue. So right when you hit the residential development, you're... It's about the same area as the downtown. It's a mm-hmm. fairly substantial area. It mirrors that yeah. uh, that yeah. southwest area across the river. And I mentioned early on the landmarks, like uh, landmarks in time, OMSI and the Telecom Crossing and so on. Are there some other sort of sea change moments along that esplanade that we should reference? Well, KPTV used to be on the waterfront. I think uh, we had the opera come in. Uh, we had the ballet on the, on the east side. And so a lot of people, when they think of the east side, it's a mixture of different types of uses and not just industry. And um, because of the zoning, uh, we have, you know, again, I think of the word fabric, but a lot of areas that are focused on per-like development, like housing, and many that don't allow it at all. And I always found the complexity of the district unique and intriguing, and I think it makes it interesting. No doubt about that. So I know the Central Eastside Industrial Council took a position against the sidewalk camping. And one issue that we haven't referenced in talking about challenges for that area is the homelessness, which yeah. you know certainly has affected uh, the Central East Side as well as it has many other areas of Portland and Oregon and the nation. So what is the situation right now? Bring us up to date on the homeless issue. Well, I think everybody would agree that no one wants to see anyone homeless. And so um, we have not been supportive of uh, not addressing the issue, if you will. And there are many businesses that have taken a proactive approach. Uh, For instance, our current president of the Central East Side Industrial Council has offered up space in one of his buildings to accommodate, I can't remember how many people, but... Is that the Menashe? Yeah. Uh, Well, actually, it's Brad Malson. Oh, this is Brad Malson's. Yeah, down uh, in Central East Side. The point is is that, you know, the CEAC... um, doesn't believe that uh, creating a permanent uh, tenting situation is a solution and that we need to come up with housing solutions to address the homeless issue. Which, as you've pointed out, is not going to be happening in that industrial area. Well, Well, it'll happen in the areas that are already zoned for residential. Mm -hmm. And now we have inclusionary housing through the city of Portland. So when the new development that's going to be developed over the next several years will start to include a a percentage of more affordable units. So... Let's talk about the future then, as we said we would, and how has the vision for that area changed over time? You know, I, again, I, I'm not sure that we're changing things as much as we're intensifying it. So mm-hmm. we we wanted to maintain the industrial sanctuary going into this process. And I, I, I will tell you that there was probably a bit of reservation from the Central East Side Industrial Council when they saw us coming, <laughs> um, especially me, because I had been the planner for both the Pearl and South Waterfront period. So, you know, this guy's coming kind of long. We're going to do industrial sanctuary. but that's you, really I, what, I think we converted Troy to our yeah. side. Oh, okay. I was yeah. going to ask for confirmation of he that. Moved, he moved from the dark side to the light <laughs> yeah. side. So, you know, I'm still the planner in South Waterfront and, and I'm the planner in, in Central East Side. And we see actually a symmetry there because... Um, some of these other districts are very expensive to do the kind of things that we think are a good spinoff from these. So a lot of research that's occurring in South Waterfront can be can move to market in the Central East Side. 
we're seeing that occur. Um, and so we wanted to make more room for that. So one of the things we looked at was this notion of industrial office, which is really most people would call creative office. Mm -hmm. um, we wanted to see more capacity for that. Um, and so we've, we've modified the zone to allow more floor area of that being built. Um, but we're also paying incentives to say we don't want to see the manufacturing base leave either. So if you were to increase uh, a ground floor industrial space, we'd give you more floor area as a bonus uh, for doing the office above it. Um, and so we think that that'll help you know, continue to spur both types of industries. And how much of the job burden is uh, coming out of that region? In other words, what is its contribution to new jobs in our area? It's huge. It's during the recession when everyone else was growing at about you know, 1%, if they were lucky, uh, that district was growing between 6 to 8%. Um, added about 1,500 jobs during the recession. It's added probably about 2,000 since then. Um, and it hasn't resulted in a tremendous displacement of the manufacturing uses. So what we saw was a lot of buildings would have ground floor uses, but the upper stories were just not being utilized. We're trying to make sure that they're being used entirely. Um, and then we're seeing new development coming in. And then we have seen, although the majority of it would be more of this industrial office and, and more focused towards tech, uh, we have seen some new development that is still supporting more traditional uses. But there's a real collaboration. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say many years ago when I first got involved, there was a lot of tension with uh, planning just because at that time uh, there was success with the Pearl and there was interest in, in creating another Pearl in the Central East Side. And they were going to call it the Diamond District. I'm not sure why, but that was the, the name it was given. But ultimately, I think what we've seen is by allowing the district to evolve slowly rather than revolutionize it or, or radically change the zoning, we found a district that doesn't compete with the Pearl or compete with the Lloyd District or South Waterfront, but can be complementary. It's a different type of businesses, different type of employment, um, and it's, it's good for the city. I would think that a district that had that kind of clout, <laughs> providing those many jobs, be able to call its own shots Yeah, well, to a great extent. It has been a collaboration, and I will give a lot of credit to Troy and his team. I mean, it's a very difficult process to go through, and Troy will tell you we spent many years going through this process. And, you know, we've come to agreements that we think are going to be successful for the next 20 years. So let's talk about some challenges of the future. I mentioned climate change earlier, and my understanding is that the Tillicum crossing, uh, the design actually had to be elevated a couple of feet because of projections about a higher river level. What can you tell us about that? It was raised a little bit, I think maybe about three feet. Um, and part of that was because of fluctuating. Um, it's not so much the sea level rise as much as it's probably increased participation and having more... Um, uh, river flows that would that would um, result in higher rivers. So we wanted to make sure that we could still get the the ship passage we were getting underneath the bridges over there. Um, but the other issues, I mean, we look at uh, through our entire central city, but the centrally side especially because it's you know industrial districts have a lot of impervious surface and they become heat islands pretty easily. So one of the things that we're looking at doing is increasing our development standards to have more green roofs that will help both with stormwater as well as uh, air quality and, and heat island effects. Uh, we're encouraging green infrastructure where we can. And you know, we're gonna continue, although it's an industrial district and, and we do need to be able to bring in people by car and truck, um, we are gonna continue to provide more options for, for non-automobile. And how does the green loop figure into all of that? You know, the Green Loop is probably less of a commuter type thing than it is trying to bring in a link around the entire city that is more of a passive um, bikeway. Because uh, I think a lot of people are, they get concerned about being in a, in a standard bike lane. 
Um, they're right next to a car. They're, it, there's some people who are just, unless they have a grade separation, they're not going to get on a bike and they're not going to bring their kids in. And so this was an idea that it's something that really serves the, the central city as well as central east side, not so much during business hours, but during the weekends or maybe off hours, although it could provide uh, additional commuter routes. And it could also provide, because jogging would be one of the things and, and walking, uh, an opportunity for people who work and live in the district to to have another form of recreation. We're struggling with the Green Loop, and it's not because we don't support it. Uh, it's primarily because we're not sure how it will be placed within the district. And so we've tried to uh, work with not only um, planning, but uh, Portland Bureau of Transportation to figure out uh, what it is and where it should go. And we've settled on two alignments, one on possibly 6th, another one on 7th, but we still haven't really gone through the, the hard work of figuring out what that means. Um, we're still a, a, an industrial district with big freight, big trucks. Uh, some of them load and unload right in the middle of 7th Avenue. Uh, if that were the green loop, that could be a problem. Um, trucks still need to access the bridges. It's a complex problem. Not that we don't support the idea, but we're not sure of the solution yet. So for small and medium-sized and even larger businesses who want to weigh in on some of these issues, do you feel like CEIC's pretty representative? Are there opportunities for business to join freely? Well, the Central East Side Industrial Council is a substantial organization, um, all volunteer. Um, there are some staff that provide services to the CEIC. But any business in the district that wants to learn more should absolutely contact the CEIC, even if they're not a member, and get involved and start to listen in on some of the meetings. You know, we have transportation meetings, we've got planning meetings, we've got uh, people that deal with homeless issues, we, you know, we have cleanups, we have everything that you would have to address as a business through this organization. And I, you know, I don't want to speak for Troy, but I think you'd agree that we're fairly influential at, at a city level. Definitely. Okay, that is Troy Doss, Senior Planner at the City of Portland, with the last word, definitely. And Peter Stark, Architect at Peter Stark Design, Architecture, and Planning. Thank you both so much for Thank that you great very update. Much for having us. Thank you. And we hope to see you next week on Biz 503.